Bibles out and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I'm going to give you two scriptures. We're going to go to Mark 12 and then we're going to go look at Luke 10. Mark 12 and then Luke 10. And I'm pretty excited today because uh, we're kicking off a brand new series called Love Where You Live. And we're really basing it on the book called The Art of Neighboring. And we're going we're gonna to spend some time on this the next uh, few weeks. And really, we're coordinating and collaborating with churches all across the city of Austin. And uh, uh, pastors in churches, uh, between 250 and 300 churches are participating in this message series over the fall. And, and that means in every pulpit across the landscape of, of uh, Austin, people are talking about the same thing. There is something happening in our churches across the city, the region of Austin. It's pretty exciting what God is doing. And so there's something powerful when the church comes together in the unity and in a unified purpose. And that's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. He prayed, Father, make them one like we are one. And so there is an effort going on in Austin, in the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, to, to coordinate and collaborate together to talk about the greatest commandment. And so the title of the, of the message today is um, Taking the Great Commandment Literally. Taking the Great Commandment Literally. All right, so let's pray and uh, we'll get to the scripture. Father, thank you so much for your word your words, how they come alive, and the entrance of them brings us light into our lives. And so, Lord, give revelation today as we read. As we share together, would you open up uh, our eyes and help us to see what you're asking us to do as your people and give us the grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 12, we'll look at verse 28. Here's what it says. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important? Which one is the most important? If you're just going to obey one, which is the one that I need to obey? <laughs> Verse 29 says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, which is known as the Shema in, Jew, in Jewish culture. And every Jewish person, every Israelite person would have known this passage by heart. He starts quoting it, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he said, he did something unique. He said, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He was quoting Leviticus 19.18. He was taking 613 commandments that are found in the Torah. The 613 commandments that were, that were sort of uh, ex explained in his day, in Jesus' day, and the hearers would have understood all these commandments, and he's boiling them down to two. I don't know about you, but people who can take big, complex subjects and boil them down to really simple action items, those are the brilliant people. The people, it's not, what makes you brilliant is not being able to explain something. What makes you brilliant is you taking a really complex subject and then helping me 
do it, helping me understand it. And that's what Jesus is doing. So I think it's safe to say that Jesus is a genius. That's a fill in the blank right there. I don't, if you didn't know, I mean, some of you are still trying to, you're, you're, you are looking at Christianity and you're still investigating the claims of Jesus. Here's what I think. When we look at the landscape of the scriptures, we see that Jesus was a genius. He was amazing how he zeroed in on the hearts of people, zeroed in on the subject at hand, zeroed in on the issue that was most important And this is what happens here as he explains this. Now, here's the thing that I want you to consider today. Here's the premise of what we're talking about. I want you to consider that if Jesus boiled these two things down, these these 613 things down to two, that it could be, it could be that the answer and the solution to all of our community ills all the community challenges that we face, it could be that they boil down to just doing two things really well. That what we're called to do as believers is do these two things really well and something will happen to the larger community of the Austin region. If, if we could consider this as the way that we live our lives, that we're going to give everything to God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then we're going to love our neighbors like we want to be loved. If we'll just care about them. If we'll just take care of them. You know, I was in a meeting last year, and there was pastors talking about this, and there were city leaders talking, and, and, and the police chief, Art Acevedo, uh, he's, he actually said something so profound. He, he was talking to all these pastors and he said, look, everybody knows that the best thing that happens in a neighborhood, the thing that lowers crime, the thing that makes a neighborhood great is when people know each other. When people have relational fabric, the neighborhood value goes up, the neighborhood safety goes up, everything improves if we'll just know our neighbors. And I think, sadly, the struggle of of our time is we don't know our neighbors well. He essentially said this. He's essentially saying a good neighbor always trumps a good program. A good neighbor always trumps a good program. Now, here's what, I think this is a hard shift for 21st century American Christians. You know why? Because we're used to the church creating a project that we can get in on. We're used to creating a program, we're used to relying and being dependent on a program that's centralized in the church. And the goal of this message series over the next several weeks, the goal of every pastor talking about this in every pulpit in our city is not just to remind us of something that Jesus said, but to have behavioral change in our city, in our region, that we would change the way we act as God's people. That we're, that we're not just trying to sort of uh, do a, a, a nice little message series and then at the end of the message series we say, wasn't that nice and we go back to our way. But that we would see this message series as a catalyst toward functioning differently as God's people. That we would be the kind of people that would obey these two things. And I think there's a paradigm often for 21st century American Christians and it kind of goes like this. One person speaking to a thousand. 
That's how the gospel translates. That's how the, the gospel gets out there. One person speaking to a thousand. It's the opposite. What we want in our region is a thousand people speaking to one. We want a thousand people speak. There's like people saying, there are kind, nice, compassionate people all over our city. Think about this. What is, what is the simple act of neighboring? What if the simple act of neighboring is how the gospel is actually revealed? What if the simple act of just being kind to your neighbor is where the the message of life and salvation actually has its fertile soil? I think we could say that this is true. I want you to take your neighbor hand out right here. I want you to just, we're going to do a little exercise here. This is called Love Where You Live, The Art of Neighboring. There's a great book by, on this title, and uh, uh, The Art of Neighboring, and you can look it up. We're going we're to talk through some of the ideas in this book, but, but I want you to take this, and we're going we're gonna to do something right now, right here in the service. I'm going to ask you to name the neighbors around your home, right? I'm going like, to give you like two minutes or so to do it. You're in the middle, and there's eight. if you live in an apartment community, just name the people in your apartment community around you. Name your neighbors. All right, I'm going to turn on some music. All right, if you don't have one of these, raise your hand. The ushers will have them for you. All right, ready? Ready? Go. All right, you can, you can keep going. Um, you can keep going while I'm talking. Okay, so, so this is really a good exercise to do. So here's what I want to do. I'm, 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 I, want to, I want to see kind of who we have in the room. How many people you could fill in every box around your house 100%? Raise your hand. Ooh, that's a good percentage. Wait, 100%. Wait, raise your hand again. Raise your hand again. Yes. Oh, this is awesome. Let's give these people a hand. Huge. They they live in the country and they only have two neighbors? No. Some of you live in a more rural area, but you could still... Actually, what I find is that the the people who live in a more rural area can fill this in a little bit better because they rely on each other because in their property and how how they take care of their properties. But I think, I think the challenge of uh, filling this out, how many people, you got seven out of eight? Seven out of eight, raise your hand. Six out of eight? Four, five out of eight? Four out of, okay, yeah, okay, just never mind. We won't keep going. We won't keep going. And th- th- hey, the first time, listen, as your pastor, the first time I filled this out was a couple years ago. Actually, actually, we, we did this one time at the very beginning in the movie theater, and, and I remember being lousy at being able to fill this out. I couldn't do it. And what I'd realized was I'd put all my effort and energy into paying attention to people at church. And I hadn't put any energy into into my neighbors, into where they were. And, uh, and, and, And Amy and I started to shift started to shift. I mean, and I've been all over the map with this thing. I mean, I, I, I've lived uh, next to all kinds of neighbors, and it, it is funny when you're a pastor, right? You, you go to the neighborhood things and neighborhood gatherings, and, and everybody has the same conversation over and over again. Hey, what do you do? And, uh, you know, and, and I hate that question. <laughs> hey, what do you do? <laughs> I try to avoid it as long as I can, keep them talking, but it's because as soon as I say, I'm a pastor, <laughs> it's like everything goes, oh. <laughs> so sometimes it's just like I'm a pastor. Oh, 
It's, it's very weird how that, how it affects people. Um, and so, um, so, but th- there's a thing about knowing our neighbors and in our culture, the way our culture functions, actually the statistics kind of bear this out. Only four in 10 adults know most of their neighbors. That's a Pew Research Center statistic. That same study, only two in 10 adults know everyone on their street, 20%. 20% know the people on their street. I think this is the struggle of our time if you consider Jesus' words. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think we have trouble loving our neighbor. If you go over to Luke chapter 10, we see this story played out in a different way. Matthew, Mark, Luke is the next book over. If you'll go over there with me, Luke 10, and we'll start. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Verse 25 says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here the question is coming the other direction. Jesus says, um, you, you, you know the law. What do you, what do you see written in it? And this man um, answers precisely. He says, He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He he gives the correct answer, Jesus says. He said, do this and you will live. What was the original question? What was the original question? How do you, what do you do to get eternal life? I just think there's a hint here for us that the gospel message is embedded in living this way. There's a hint. The gospel message is embedded. We can get rid of all the evangelism programs. We can get all this. They don't really work if we don't do these two things really well. Love God and love people really well. And so Jesus, he he says, do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. He was a lawyer. He was a litigator of the scriptures. And he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who, and who is my neighbor? He's like, this, this question is so crazy because what he's doing is, are there people who are non-neighbors who I don't have to be nice to? Is there a qualification for neighbor that I, you can give me so that I can do this really well or so that I can avoid certain people? Verse 30 says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. Jesus, as he was speaking this, every hearer would have understood how dangerous that roadway was from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was full of all kinds of dangers and dangerous people. He says, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went, uh, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now, Jesus is telling a story, and he says a priest who is a person highly respected in Jewish culture, highly respected, and a Levite honored among the people of Israel as the people who care for the temple. He says there's a priest, 
And then there's a Levite, and both of them walk by. They don't do anything to help this man in the ditch. And then, he, and then the, in, the, in the minds of the hearers, you could hear them kind of clicking through, oh, a priest, now a Levite. I know who's next, a Pharisee. That's, it's, it's, it, the Pharisees are the brilliant ones. They are most committed. But in a shocking twist, Jesus says, a Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. There, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan in the Jewish mind. There were only bad Samaritans. Jesus flips the story on its head and he says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus turns to the expert, turns to the lawyer, and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And you could sort of see the, the, the lawyer, the, the guy who was asking the question, the expert standing there. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. What is Jesus saying? Jesus took the definition of, of neighbor and blew it up. He blew it out. If you think about it, Jesus is telling a story as an illustration. He's telling a parable. It's a metaphor, but we can't miss the idea that we must love our literal neighbors. I know many of you are thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Ross, didn't you just explain this story? I mean, the story is meant to include my coworkers, the parents of the kids on my uh, soccer team, my kids' soccer team, the, the person I served on short-term missions. I mean, these are all qualified as neighbors according to Jesus' story. And you'd be 100% correct. However, that doesn't somehow lessen the fact that our literal neighbors are still our neighbors. And great things begin to happen when we're willing to build relationships with those who live closest to us and work out then from there. But see, we live in a culture that doesn't value this in many ways. There is a return to it. The, in fact, if you think about it, the hardest people for us to be our neighbors, to treat like neighbors, to love as neighbors are our, our literal neighbors. <laughs> Why? Because they see our yard. We see their garage. When that garage door goes up, we kind of hear the music through the walls of the apartment community. <laughs> Too loud. We smell the smells that come out of the apartment. There is a... By proximity, we sort of see their, we, we see their habits and their patterns. They see ours. And so sometimes there's this hesitation, there's this challenge, there's this struggle to love the people that are right next door to us. Make no mistake, 
we understand they're there, but we live in an age of hyper-individualism where we get to make all decisions. We get to choose who we're willing to spend time with and who we're not. We can drive anywhere we want to across the region. You likely drove past several churches to get to this one today. There's a, there's a culture where we are part of all kinds of, of hobbies and, and all kinds of workout clubs, and, and we, we, we can choose all these things, and so we bypass the very people who are right next to us to spend time with, and we end up not loving our literal neighbors, not being neighborly to them. We live and breathe and eat and sleep 80 feet less in many cases, less than 80 feet from people who lay their head down on the pillow every night and need Jesus. The answer, I think, is that we will be willing to open up our lives to them. Consider the people Jesus was talking to. It was really hard for them it was really hard for them to know people that were far away, but easy to know their neighbors. So Jesus is making the case the opposite direction. But in our culture, I think we have to consider that it's easy to know the people far away. It's easy to know the people online. It's easy to know the people in our own interest group of our own choosing, but really hard to go up and knock on our neighbor's door. It's threatening. It's challenging. It's intimidating. Statistics back this up. So why don't we know our neighbors? I think there's just three simple answers. One is time. You could have saw that one coming. Could have seen that one coming. To be grammatically correct. We have so much going on in our lives that we, we can't imagine adding more people to our already overscheduled lives. If you're going to love your literal neighbors, you're going to have to take time with them. Number two, fear. We're afraid of being rejected or we're afraid of their influence or for our, for our own safety. We think they're dangerous people. We don't want their kids playing with our kids. We, we, I have a theory, and it is the, the youngest child of any family is the one who corrupts all the older children, or all the oldest children of their family in other families, right? You see, so we, so we have families who don't want to spend time with our little guy, Owen, because he's learned all these things from his older brothers and sisters. <laughs> They're not ready for their kids to know it yet. But there's a challenge here where sometimes we're afraid, or we're afraid of just having to care for someone else who's in need, so we're not sure we want to connect with them. Number three is snobbery. <laughs> we don't want to get to know these people because they're strange or weird or distasteful to us in some way. I want you to realize they probably think the same thing about you. <laughs> now, naming our neighbors, right? Like when some of you are filling this out, you, na you had a name for your neighbors because you don't know their real name. right? Like, like grumpy guy. <laughs> grumpy guy, uh, lousy lawn guy. Uh, scary single girl. Uh, the bad kid house. That's where all the bad kids are. <laughs> 
Here's the, here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's the point of this message today. All I'm trying to get you to do is be willing to know your neighbor's names. That's all this is. I want you to take this home. I want you to put it on your refrigerator. And I want you to learn your neighbor's names. The, the last thing I, I want you to do is walk up to your neighbor with this thing in your hand. <laughs> so I'm just, you know, I'm trying to get to know all my neighbor. Now, listen, if you can, if you can get this right, like, like I think in the name of, of safety, in the name of, of lower crime rates and all that kind of stuff, that's a really great idea. But I think, but I think you just have to, I think you have to love people and be willing to be neighborly without being weird. So you're going to have to manage that. Some of you, more management is needed than others. But here's the thing. There is so much, something so much more powerful than when you see your neighbor and say, hey, bro. <laughs> if you know their name, hey, Mark. Hey, Johnny. You can say that. Something happens. It's really hard to love someone if we don't even know their names. Most of us don't know our neighbors' names, let alone their kids' names, let alone their, their jobs, their hobbies. We certainly don't know their fears, their dreams. There's three stages to neighboring, all right? So I don't want you to rush through these stages. There's a stage of, of a stranger. That means you don't know them at all. There's a stage of an acquaintance. So I kind of know them. I know, I know enough about them to just kind of say hi. Uh, but then there's actual relationship, building relationship. Some of you are at stranger. Some of you are at... You can't go from stranger to relationship in like, uh, you know, overnight, Right? But, but there's, a, there's a process by which you start meeting people, and the first step is really knowing their name. So how do you make the first introduction? Well, you can do things like you could say, I, I, we made a bunch of extra cookies, and, and, and so we had some extra, and, and we didn't need them around our house, so who wanted to know if you wanted to take them? And I'm Ross, and, and, and I wanted to meet you. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll go over and uh, see something happening when they're mowing their lawn or they're, they're raking their leaves or something, and I'll, I'll go over and ask a question about my lawn because my lawn needs a lot of help. <laughs> there are all kinds of ways to make an introduction. And people, it's weird. People think you're weird if you just um, go over and try to be nice. Like in our cultures, people are cynical, they're, they're, they're skeptical, they're, they think, what, what, did, what do you want, right? But over time, as people start to know you, there is something really powerful that begins to happen. And we're going to talk about that process over the next several weeks. We're going to talk about what kind of powerful things happen, because it's not just it's not just leading them to Jesus, although I think that that's something we carry as God's people. There are other things that happen that lead you to that moment that are equally as powerful. Three neighboring opportunities as we go through the fall. Here's what I want you to think about, how you can be a better neighbor. All right, there's something called National Night Out. National Night Out is an idea that, that came out of the 
police department and, and working with uh, neighborhood safety. Uh, the National Night Out has two dates. One is in August when it's hotter than Hades in Texas. So Texas has another one in October. All right, so October 6th is National Night Out. And you can look it up. You can go around and, and meet your neighbors and say, hey, let's have a little National Night Out picnic outside and we'll make sure we know each other. It's to be really good for our neighborhood. That's a great opportunity. It's a great thing to do. There's something else on October 31st. There's something called Halloween. I don't know if you've heard of it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to articulate something called Halloweeners. Halloweeners, all right? And here's, here's what I think. Here, I, know some, I know there's all kinds of different perspectives on what Halloween is and our, our involvement in it, but here's what I think. When the rest of the neighborhood on one day a year comes to your door, It's the one time a year where the whole neighborhood is going to come to your door. Could we, as God's people, set up a a place where they might stop and linger and talk? Could we roast hot dogs in the front yard? Roast hot dogs in the front yard, and as their kids are scurrying around and people are coming by and all that kind of stuff's happening, that that different people stop and and you give them some of your hot dogs. You have stuff there. I don't, it, doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be a hot dog roast. It can be any number of things that just cause them to stop and just you talk to them. They talk to you. You know what I know what the best conversation starter is in Austin? The best conversation starter in Austin is your pets. <laughs> and if you're that neighbor that doesn't carry a bag with them when you're walking the dog... But man, you just have to be walking a dog and anybody will talk to you about that dog. They have no idea what to say to you, but they'll talk to the dog. (laughs) It's crazy. Something so amazing. So so number three is holiday parties, like have a block party during the Christmas season. Just invite your neighbors over and have a nice little uh, holiday get together and, and just in the name of the season and do something fun for the holidays. These are great ramps to getting to know people. Now, listen to me. You don't have to win them to Christ, disciple them, and send them to the mission field by Christmas. (laughs) Okay, okay. I, I, I know some of you really want to do that, and we have a tendency to want to close the deal, like, really quickly. But, but some people just aren't ready for that. They need you to live out the gospel in front of them for a while. And if we will just be willing to live this way, we will find that God is in the details. God is behind the scenes. He's working. Look at Acts 17, and we'll finish with this. Verse 26 says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he had determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Look at that. You can underline that if you want to. And he determined the exact places where they should live. God's involved in where you live. (laughs) It's not just about your rent payment. It's not just about the season of life you're in. God is in where you live. God is involved in where you live. And God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He's not far. At the end of the story in Luke 10, Jesus makes it really clear that the religious expert was asking the wrong question. 
The question isn't, who is my neighbor? The question that Jesus wants us all to ask is, what kind of neighbor am I? Close your eyes, bow your head. I want you to let God speak to you in this moment. And I want you to allow him to put people on your heart for you to think of, of people that you need to make an effort to know, to love. But I want you to even look deeper than that because some of you are f- afraid of this process and your lives are full and you're overwhelmed and you're struggling just personally, just in your personal life. And we're going to come to the Lord's table right now. And I want you to see these next few minutes as coming to the Lord's table to receive what Jesus has provided for you. The strength, the wisdom, the insight. Yes, the love that he can put in your heart to love people around you. To love the unlovely. Jesus did this several times with his disciples and he did it when he when he multiplied the loaves and the fishes, he did, a, did that a couple times. What he did was he prayed over the bread and then he broke it and then he gave it away. Could you see yourself today as coming to this table and let, letting God bless you? And could you see yourself as him breaking you open? Breaking you from your own insistence of your own will, your own way, him breaking you of just choosing to live the way you want to live? Could you allow him to bless you and then break you? Most people just want to be blessed and then they want to be given. But Jesus takes us through a process and it's, it's about surrendering to him. It's about yielding to his way. It's about letting yourself yield to his desires and the way you, you, you see life. And there are people in the room and you don't like your neighbors, but God wants to break you and open you up. And then he wants to give you away. He wants to do a miracle in your life. He wants to heal you today. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to give you courage. Would you come to this table and receive of his provision? The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you and for me to bring his healing and his strength and his nourishment and his sustenance. The cup represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for each one of us for forgiveness of sins. And so would you receive from that as we come to the table? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us and what this table represents and what Christ has done in taking our sin upon himself and dying a death that we deserved, and then being raised to life again, and then offering us that same life. Lord, would you convict us of sin this morning? Would you convict us of our own selfishness, and would you help us to lay down our lives like like Christ laid down his? Father, I thank you for this. Minister to each one of us. Help us to receive everything you have for us. 
for those of us in the room that are trying to reattach to you, Lord, would you just let this, these moments come alive. Let your, let your life fill us as we yield to you. In Jesus' name, amen.